Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have another installment for our Men in Therapy series. Um, We're so happy to have our next guest on, and his name is Anthony Grasso, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce him. Anthony Grasso is a New York City, Queens native and a 10th year (laughs) <laughs> Yo, that was so unnecessary. <laughs> no, Anthony, I really like you a little more. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. And a 10th year public school educator in New York City. Uh, when Anthony is not out spending all of his money on vegetarian food, he is staying active by working out or training in Muay Thai. He enjoys staying up to date with fashion, reliving old New York City history, and exploring art and museums. Thank you, Anthony, for joining us today. How are you? I am doing all right. Um, I'm also kind of impressed that you said Muay Thai correctly, because usually everyone says Mai Thai or like, ask me what it is. So, um, you know, that's a good start. And I, I was a lot better until you try to uh, make fun of Queens, but I, I'm used to it. You know, we're, we're the best and then people don't realize and then we just got to deal with it. Uh, you know, whatever. whatever, whatever. Anyways, Brooklyn in the house. You're- so what part of Queens are you from? Uh, I kind of grew up all over. So I moved a lot as a kid, but like Jackson Heights area, mostly. That's where I grew up. Yeah. That's where I grew up. 145 was my school. That's where I went. Uh, oh, get out of here. Yeah, I graduated 8th oh, grade. Oh. I graduated 8th yeah. grade 145 because I lived on Dykeman for a few years and I moved back to Queens. And then I've been in Queens ever since. I moved back in 8th grade. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so cool. All right. Well, thank you for, for checking in, letting us know how you're doing. Sasha, how are you feeling? Um, uh, I'm tired. I'm very, very tired. I'm just tired. I am trying to figure out where old pieces of my life belong, um, if they belong. And I'm trying to figure out how do I kind of remove them or do I just kind of keep them in the back burner? Like I'm not used to doing that because I used to put so much attention to these quote unquote old pieces and now they're just not fitting anymore. So it's giving me anxiety. Um, So, I mean, it wasn't, I always fucking have anxiety. How about you, Crystal? (laughs) I actually feel good. I got to rest this weekend. I had a whole day where I did nothing but what mm. I wanted to do. Napped. I baked, which was good, but I'm like trying not to eat a whole <laughs> batch of cookies by myself. I'm really trying to be uh, strong there. But honestly, I feel good. I feel rested. And I think that that's truly what I needed after like these past few weeks. I've just been super intense and exhausting and filled with a lot of like work and other things so i feel a lot better now good that that makes me happy and i'm slightly envious not gonna lie (laughs) i've been wanting that for so long and i feel like i just can't get that like i i fully can't get that and if i get it it's like a little bit and then it's like right back to high intensity no i hear you i'm not looking forward to the week so we can go ahead and get started just FYI, I actually know Anthony from college. We went to the same school and we have the same best friend. Technically, I'm the better 
best friend of our best friend. Um, considering, but, you know, considering I was the best man, I don't know if that necessarily would even constitute. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. First of all, there was a whole backstory to that. I'm not going to be airing our dirty laundry out here. But did did he go to Brooklyn for you? No. Okay, um, but whatever. We're, we're not going to get into that. But <laughs> Anthony and I do uh, know each other. We share a best friend. Um, and we'll ask him who he loves more later. But I do, I know a little bit about your story. But I do kind of want to go backtrack and ask you, when was the first time that you realized that you needed to go to therapy? What was your first experience life? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a mother who and grandparents who visibly had some form of anxiety so there's always that knowledge of this might potentially happen to me even at a young age right whether it's nurture or nature sort of thing um but it was in college i think i was 19 and i first started to get really bad chest pains and i just couldn't catch my breath and then of course that causes more anxiety and then when it lasts for about a week, it, I, it got so bad, I actually depersonalized myself from my body. So I felt like I was floating everywhere. I couldn't mm-hmm. feel my feet touching the floor. I'd be on the E train going to St. Joe's and like, I just couldn't feel anything. And every stop, I'm like, the train's going to stop. We're going to get stuck here. And then we're not going to be here for six years. And like, I would just go on and on. And that's when I noticed like, I need to get some sort of support. And I just needed to figure out what was going on. Um, and that was like the first moment I, I was like, I need some, some mental support. And then that's kind of where, where the journey started. Who did you, I guess, reach out to for help? Did you go to like the counselor at St. Joe's? Did you use your insurance? Like, how did you, what was your journey in searching for a therapist or like, cause it's one thing to, to have that realization, but then to actually take the steps to finding someone. Yeah. Acting on it took a while, right. Especially at that age. You know, when you're still a teen, like 19, still a teenager, and you don't necessarily know how to act on those things when you haven't been taught to do so. And it took me a while um, until I think I found my first job when I was 21, where I really like full force went. But that was the moment where I knew I needed support. At first, I turned to my mother, right? Because I understood my mother had similar reactions to me, two things, right? Similar emotional feelings, similar, similar physical feelings, et cetera. And that's who I turned to. And that was technically my first therapist, right? Like she, she was the one where we spoke things out and there was an understanding to it. But then as I got older and I got my own insurance is when I actually was able to look for a therapist. And I tried multiple places before I found someone that I actually felt comfortable with. But, you know, like that's kind of how, how the journey went. My mother was technically my, my first therapist. I'm going to change the wording a little bit because I think narrative is very important. You know, as much as we we want it to be the case, like I think family and friends, especially it seems as though you said that like your family had anxiety. Sometimes they can't be our therapist, but they could definitely be our support system. Um, So I do want to get back a little into like something you said, which has to do with your mother. Um, You said that you were very aware that the your family had anxiety. What I want to ask is like, how did that look, right? Like, how did that feel for you? Like, did because when we're kids or teens, even we don't say, "Oh, look at that anxiety." We just kind of know something's there. So, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, we had so much going on in the house, right? So it was, um, 
just these overwhelming sense of emotion, right? Like either my mother started to build up and then you would kind of be able to sense that or when my stepfather was drinking, that would build up and that you knew was coming. And it was this slow, steady rise of, of emotion, right? Like, and it starts at least like for what I can remember, it starts with just feeling that energy and then seeing the panic, even if it's trying to be controlled. And, you know, I, I feel like my mother was kind of honest with me at a young age too, where, you know, she mentioned anxiety at a young age. I think she understood her warning signs to what was going on. And then I sort of picked up on that as I slowly got older. Um, but it was definitely, a, a, you just felt that panic build. Um, it's almost like you're going up a roller coaster and right before you drop, like you can feel that, that sort of build up. And then when I reached that point, I feel like my mother wasn't often, I wouldn't say not always, like she knew when to sort of step away and be able to deal with it on her own. Cause we were, you know, we were younger. Um, but I, I definitely felt that build up slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, did your mother ever attend therapy that you know of? I, I feel like she, she did, but I don't remember talking about that often. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I talked about fam, uh, like therapy with family often. It wasn't stigmatized, but it wasn't a, um, an option, right? Like, uh, on what you're, you're, when something's going wrong, um, I think the first thought for my mother was when I had those sort of chest pains was, oh, maybe you need to go see a doctor, right? And that's for medication, not for therapy, right? And I still remember I took one Xanax and it freaked me out because, and it was like 0.5 milligram. And I just felt like I was floating. And I was like, I don't want to do this shit again. You know, I, and I never took another pill. And that's not stigmatized. I think there's plenty of people who need, right, medication for certain things, but it just wasn't right for me. So like, therapy slowly came after that so when you landed your first job and started to go to therapy what kind of therapist did you see how long did you go what was that experience like it, i think i was so unaware of what therapy was that i just went on zocdoc or like went on a website and found a therapist i don't know what license they were i don't know anything like that mm. I, I saw someone because it was actually a practice that probably had like 10 different therapists. Mm. It was in Astoria and I went to it. The first person I just, I don't know. I didn't like their style. And then the second person I went to, and I was with her for like two years, uh, maybe even a little bit longer. She was probably the therapist I was with the longest. I know there was just something that I needed at that moment, right? Like we would have conversations and she listened but she also was blunt with certain things, right? Like there was, hey, this is what you should be doing. This is what you're currently, right? Like there was real conversations with it. And I think that's when I figured out, like that's the person that I, I need, right? Because uh, I wanted to walk away with one, what is going on, right? I just didn't understand what was going on. Two, what sort of coping mechanisms can I come with? Right. And what sort of practices can I create to better my situations? And then I, I, I liked honesty. You know, I like someone who's like, yeah, you're overthinking. I don't like the someone who, who just kind of just like, how are you feeling today? Oh, but, right. And like, I, that just wasn't for me. She was very much like, what's going on? Well, this is what it could be. This is what maybe we should try these practices. You know, 
keep it moving. Um, and that was like my first sort of therapy, just like moment. Like she was very refre- reflective and knowledgeable. Um, and there was just like a trust in that room that I, that I really appreciated. Nice. Um, I mean, that's how it should be, to be quite honest with you. So I want to take it back just one, just a little step back, um, because you did mention how therapy wasn't mentioned in your house. And I don't think you meant it as in it was taboo. It's just it just kind of wasn't given as an option. So when you actually started to go to therapy, did you tell people in your family that you were in therapy? Yeah. And how I, was that conversation? I told everyone. I told friends. I told family. I told students. I t- like I, I'm very open about, about that stuff. Um, and it, it, like it was just a regular conversation, like an acknowledgement, like, hey, oh, great. That's awesome. You know, it was never like a question about therapy. All right. Like questioning therapy itself or questions about therapy. Like, hey, what's going on? What do you think? But there was moments where afterwards I would, especially when I was extremely overwhelmed, um, where I would call my mother and talk about the hour session or 40 minutes, whatever, you know, we could meet that day. And it was just conversations about it. I think because me and my mother have, we're so similar when it comes to just how we think about our mental health, like the actual sort of anxiety and OCD that we sort of express and being able to have that, like you said, support system before was kind of necessary. But there was never any sort of bringing things out from therapy. It was just like when I wanted to speak about it, I spoke about it. Mm. And, th- and that was it. And it, that's, that's a great feeling, right? And a lot of my friends, even if they will not go to therapy, we, we've always had conversations like that, even at like 16 years old. And I, I feel very blessed and lucky to have such a great group of friends that I've had for a very long time at this point, who even if they're a little scared to go to therapy, uh, we can have conversations about it and, and really have deep, meaningful conversations about how we're feeling emotionally and, and, and what we need from each other as people. Um, so like I've never had... Um, any awkward conversations around therapy. Um, I never had anyone sort of question why. I've had people question how, right? They've been very uh, confused on how to start. I, I don't know if it's either, if it's the friend group and the family that I have and the people I surround myself with, or if it's, it is becoming less stigmatized as I've gotten older for people. I feel like it is becoming more accepted and I don't know, again, if that's just a blurred vision because of the people that I was surrounded around, because some of them might have an absolutely different point of view on that, right? But I, you know, I just feel sort of lucky to have those conversations with them. I mean, I don't, so I, what I will say is I think from what I know about you and just the way that you carry yourself, you carry yourself with this air of like, this is my story, this is my truth, and no one can take it away from me. Um, so I don't know if that also maybe contributed because I think like you've always had that piece of authenticity where there wasn't necessarily like shame. Like if you were saying something, there wasn't necessarily shame surrounding it. Um, so maybe that also led to an acceptance of like, well, you know, like no one's going to question it. Because I, I also wanted to ask you, like you were going to therapy and your mom, but did other members of your family go to therapy? Because I think it's also, it's one thing for folks to accept that you're going to therapy, but it feels very different for them to consider it for themselves or for it to seem like it's an option for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my grandmother died addicted to what whatever pill she needed to take to get through the debt, right? And that was because her mental health was never checked in, you know? And no one knew this. 
I mean, to kind of backtrack, right? I didn't live with my mother a lot of my life. My mom had me at 18. She had me young. I don't know my father. Me and my father still walk by each other in the street. I met him for the first time when I was 13. I met him three times. He disappeared again, and we walked by each other in the street, and that we had no conversation, right? So, like, me and my mother didn't have the closest relationship. Um, I lived with my grandmother a lot growing up um, and with my grandfather until he passed away. And my grandmother was young. She was 67 when she passed away. My grandfather was 57 when I was 13. And I didn't know at a young age that she was literally going – she never dealt with the – issues and trauma that she had as a child and throughout her life. And, you know, she never mentioned therapy or anything of that nature. And like, she really had to take substances to get through the rest of her life. You know, so having those conversations and and the other people in my family just didn't happen. The men in my family, I feel like are very stereotypical old school New York, right? Like sort of uh, old school New York tough guys, like they're ball busters. They're going to harass the hell out of you and say really mean things. And if you don't know how to take it, it's like a man up sort of situation. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if any of them went to therapy either, right? Like even my grandfather, who when I was growing up was like my best friend, because I didn't know my father. Um, he couldn't drive on bridges or highways or anything because his anxiety got so bad. So we would drive on side streets when we go to visit my uncle all the way out into Long Island, it would take like two and a half hours instead of an hour because he couldn't do it, right? Because he was never, he never was able to get the support he needed. Everyone goes through different traumas. Like everyone has a specific trauma. And uh, I just felt like they never looked for therapy or even just like coping mechanisms to to how to deal with it. And they just went on and it was that push through, deal with it, man up sort of situation and they didn't do it. Even my stepfather, right? Like he turned to alcohol. He was the best father in the world when he wasn't drinking. When he was drinking, I mean, my stepfather was, I mean, he was a gangster. Like he got stabbed in the head. He still has a bullet in his ass. He grew up in the South Bronx. He was a third in, in Puerto Rico for boxing. Like he, he's a naturally tough dude. Um, and as someone who trains like martial arts, like I don't think I have that kill switch that a real professional fighter needs. That dude was scary. And he would hit my mom and I'd have to get involved and he would do all these, but he turned to alcohol. Right. And I, and I, and I, now that I think about that, and I don't think I've ever had that realization is I saw the, the substance abuse as their coping mechanism at a very young age. And I think that's potentially why I might have turned to actually looking for therapy and other support systems. Cause I saw what could potentially happen if you don't get the supports you need. I just want to know, like, so I don't know if it's a follow up, but I, I do want to know um, how, because the whole point of men in therapy, right? Like how men were, what men were expected, like what you grew up with and how that, if anything, like went against your views or went with it. Uh, how did you deal with that when going into therapy as a man with all the, all your family members behind you and your stepfather and recognizing how they cope or found ineffective ways of coping? Yeah, I I feel like my family was always put your head down and push through uh, as men. And that's kind of what it, I knew. It was it was that like my family has stories of giant brawls and like mafia stuff and like just fighting and like we were the tough guys, right? And uh the one thing that I found beautiful about a lot of them is that they didn't need to be that alpha male mentality even though they had those stories, uh, they were very nurturing men. 
but they were they still still had a very tough exterior. And I don't know if it's because I grew up around different cultures that really influenced me and, and had me shape my life a lot. But like those men were just tough guys, push along. You know, like mental health wasn't discussed. Love was shown, but it was never like a sort of therapy or, you know, how are you feeling today? Or, you know, what's wrong, et cetera. Um, I feel like- How did they show love? Do you feel like, like, what was the nurturing? What was like, what, what signaled to you? Like, oh, they do care about me, even though they're pushing this macho man narrative. Yeah. My grandfather just made time. Hmm. Like he wanted to spend time with me. He wanted to coach baseball. He wanted to take walks with me. He wanted to sit in the park. He, like, we cuddled on the couch and watched the, the 1986 Mets World Series over and over again. And he would show me doo-wop and, like, all these things, right? And he he was physically affectionate, right? He was he would tell me he loved me, and then he would show me, right? Like, he had, he had actions that were, like, I'm going to take time to make sure that I, I show you I appreciate you and that I want to spend time with you. And he also opened my eyes to a lot of things, right? Like we used to do the Toys for Tots runs and we used to deliver, and I was like four, right? We'd ride on the, I'd ride on the back of the motorcycle. We'd deliver toys to special needs kids, right? And many who couldn't speak and couldn't walk. And, uh, you know, he showed me that that is important as well, right? And expressing your, your love to other people it is important. Um, and I think that's why I said, like, he was the, the, the man in my life for a long time. And I was very lucky to have him because he did show me those types of things um, at a very young age. Um, and even my stepfather, my stepfather, like I said, he was, he was awesome. He really was. He just had, had two different sides, right? It was like, depending on what you're going to get that day. But he, he was similar. You know, he would tell me he loved me. He would give me a kiss and a hug and, you know, all those sort of things. Um, and yeah, and I think that's where, you know, I sort of was able to learn that expressing love to other men was okay. So how did you, especially with your stepfather, how did you cope with the fact that this man is loving towards you, but then he's also abusive towards your mother? I don't know if I just understood that he had a problem, right? It was accepting that he had a problem. You know, he wasn't necessarily a large dude. Like he's only like 5'5", five, five, but he was intimidating, super intimidating. And he had that switch. And I would see that switch and I would start to sort of not question it, but think about it and potentially why that was occurring. And then I always noticed that there was an immediate sort of uh, reason to it. And it was always alcohol. And there was just that connection, right? It was like at a young age, I think I knew... This is someone who had so many traumas in their life and has no idea how to deal with it, that they're trying to escape that problem. And then they're coming down with two problems. Now they're an alcoholic and they still have all that trauma when they're no longer uh, drunk and they sober up. And I just like accepted that. Right. And, you know, I felt bad for my mother. My mother stayed in for so long. um, And I think it was for the children. But like, that's where I was sort of upset with it. But then five months would go by and he wouldn't drink and it would be like the perfect world. So it was just very confusing. It was an understanding of like, 
this is happening, but yeah, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. What, him and my mother finally divorced. I don't hold a grudge against him because I, I understand that there's issues and trauma that he needs to deal with. But does that mean I now need to reach out to him all the time? No, right? Because he's never dealt with them and I'm not going to put myself in situations to sort of have to render situations with him. You didn't grow up with your father. You had a stepfather who could be very volatile. You lost your grandfather who was a very like critical figure and then from and from what i know about you and even a little bit what you mentioned earlier um your grandmother has passed so you i feel like you've dealt with a lot of grief and loss um and there's just there's just needed to be a lot of i guess reconciliation about the people in your life and how they've shown up and accepting what they can give as opposed to what it is that you need so i guess there's a part of me that's wondering like how have you dealt with that grief that loss um and sometimes i think it's not even just like the the loss of like the physical person right because you know with your grandma and grandfather obviously they both passed but like with your father like both your fathers it's like the loss of the father figure in a figurative sense so how do you feel like you've dealt with that how have you i guess internalized it what has been your process have you gone to therapy for these things Therapy started with this idea of anxiety. And then my issue always with therapy was finding time, right? Like I'm, I'm in it for a chunk of time and then I'm back in grad school and I literally can't breathe. Like it's go, go, go. And then I, I don't think about my mental health, right? Because I'm so overwhelmed, which is what I'm doing now again. And then it's, all right, let me get back into therapy because I need to figure this out. And when my grandfather passed, he had cancer. So there was a, a, a preparation to him passing, right? My grandmother was really rough because she got evicted because she was dealing with the, the, she just didn't know how to understand my grandfather's death. She got evicted. She was living with me and I found her, right? Like, and that was the, the roughest part, right? Like I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And that was the moment where after about a month, I was like, I need to go back to therapy, right? Like I need to figure this out. And the therapist I found at that time actually was very different than the first woman that I discussed before. The, the second woman was um, like, we would actually meditate together and we would do noticing techniques and we would focus on breathing. And I needed that at that time. You know, that, that actually opened my eyes to a lot when it came to what practices I need to do when I'm not around a therapist, right? Like, um, and how important meditation has become. That was the exact type of therapy I needed. Even though towards the end, I felt like I hit a wall, like that therapist couldn't offer anything else and I needed something new. But that was the moment where I just needed to sort of breathe and, and be with myself and not uh, allow that sort of emotion to completely overwhelm me. Um, because it was just, it was so intense. So are you currently still in therapy? So when the pandemic started, I had such Zoom fatigue from teaching all day on Zoom that I could not think of be, about being in Zoom again. And then now I'm in grad school, plus doing it. So I'm in grad school for administration, right? To become a principal or assistant principal. Um, and then I am doing my internship admin hours, plus teaching full time in a pandemic. And I just never had a chance to get back. 
I'm already seeing the deadline, right? Like December 5th is when I'm done with classes. December 6th, I'm looking to have an appointment, right? Like finding a new therapist and trying something because I have no time to breathe. So I can't even picture taking an hour out of my week to, to do like any type of therapy, right? Like my practices, my meditation, my everything has just been on such of a back burner, which I hate. Um, but it's been very hard to get back in that rhythm. Um, but I need to force myself to get back in that rhythm because it's an important like practice for me. Uh, it's just like understanding that like I I might need to settle for another month and then like really dive into it. Um, cause I want to be in person. And now that everything's opened back up, I'm feeling more inclined to go to therapy as well. Um, I just don't want to be on a computer screen all day anymore. What are, you know, you had mentioned some techniques that you learned in therapy, which have been helpful and have been foundational in terms of like taking care of yourself. What are some other things that you learned about yourself in therapy that have been helpful um, or just things that are interesting that just have made you understand yourself in ways that you hadn't before? Yeah. I mean, the fact that I have OCD, right? Like I always tell myself what I was always told, right? And I told myself that it's full anxiety. But there's other things that that lead to anxiety, right? So I have the OCD and not in the sense of where I need to close a doorknob 20 times, right? In the sense of my mind's like a racetrack and it's just going to go all the time. So I have obsessive compulsive thinking. That's what I battled with for a long time was this sort of there's always something wrong with me, right? I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm not breathing properly. Um, I'm a little dizzy. Uh, You know, like all these sort of different things. Um, and then I would allow that panic to sort of start, right? And it wasn't, I never had the stereotypical anxiety attack where like I'm hyperventilating and I'm sweating and I'm, but in my mind, I'm having that, that full blown panic attack. So it's never seen, but it's, it's there. Um, and then when my therapist was like, I'm starting to think that you have OCD, Right. And informed me on what OCD is and that it's not me having to wash my hands all the time or do these other sort of actions that there's thinking involved in OCD. It allowed me to better understand who I was and allowed me to better calm myself down. Right. Because I think I had a better understanding of what I potentially needed and what my triggers were. Um, I think that was always my issue and why I wanted to go to therapy is I can never control my triggers. And I knew what the triggers were. I just couldn't control it, right? Um, and I think realizing like, all right, well, my mind is just like, a, I constantly call it a racetrack because I do get that feeling sometimes when I'm really overwhelmed. Um, and, and accepting that uh, allowed me to sort of better deal with the situations. Um, I've been doing a lot of noticing techniques. So you'll notice a sensation, you'll notice a thought, and that's it. You're just noticing it, right? Like my chest is kind of tight. Am I breathing? Yeah, I'm good, right? Notice it and let's keep it moving rather than allowing yourself to sort of sit with that to the point where it's like panic, right? Like noticing it and allowing it to to happen is okay. Um, and that noticing technique has been really helpful for me. And that's like one of the main sort of things that, that keeps me centered. And that's a practice that I, 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 I wanna continue because it's it's a very difficult practice to even get started right? Like telling yourself, Oh yeah, it's, I'm going to notice it. No, you're going to notice it and freak out for a little while. Right. But it's going to take 
six months, two years, whatever it takes for you to be able to get that practice sort of under control, right? And then you can better it and better it and better it. Um, and I think those are the two things that really allowed me to sort of at least center myself a little bit better. Because even last night I had heartburn and I was telling myself that I can't breathe. But, you know, that sort of stuff happens. So we're getting old. I get heartburn for everything at this point. So it's interesting um, because I think that a lot of people, and I'm just going to clarify for anyone who does need clarification, anxiety comes out of um, your inability to control because we want to control everything, right? So that's why OCD is a, it's a form of anxiety, right? Like anxiety can come in so many different forms, but it's this need to control, right? Like, and Anthony, you said it, and as I told you I was going to do this, you said it, you said, I couldn't control my triggers, Right. And I just want to clarify, it's what we can't control is our external environment. We can never control the triggers around us. We can control how we react to them. And that's what that noticing technique does, because uh, that's and I love the fact that because you use language that gives you autonomy. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but you're saying I allow myself to feel these things. Right. Like it's what you're choosing. Um, and I think that anxiety usually feels like something that's happening to us. It's out of our control, which makes it worse. And that's why we panic. Um, but it really is this weird uh, push and pull with this idea of control. Because if we don't have things the way we feel comfortable, then there's conflict. And that's where the anxiety comes from. Um, so I think it's cool that your narrative is more independent of your anxiety at this point. I don't know if you notice that. I don't know. Like, I, I sometimes I wonder if it's because I've I've been an adult for so long, like, and I kind of say that not like I'm, but at 11 years old, right, I was cooking for my family while my parents worked. Um, and I had these responsibilities at such a young age, that I was able to realize that I am it, like, it's me, right. Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't know if that's just a natural sort of thing, or what it what experiences has sort of shaped it. But yeah, I, I, I do very much take ownership of the entire process and every situation. Yeah, and I think language and education matters. So I don't think that people know that I believe, and I'll look this up, I believe there are five different ways that OCD can show up, which is like, you know, like what you were mentioning about, you know, like hand washing and stuff like that. And like, uh, like the- Rituals. Hmm? Those are rituals. Like rituals, like, right. Like yeah. the rituals, yeah. But um, so, so I also, um, Think it's important that you mention that you have OCD and it doesn't look like the rituals that you that people normally think of with OCD and about it being related to germs and things like that. So um, just also more education about the different things that are out there definitely helps in that sense. Yeah, I, I think there's just uh, there's a lot of stereotypes around what mental health looks like, and I think that's such a major issue. Because when I was in college and I first started to get this anxiety, I don't think there was an acceptance because I wasn't having what people think anxiety is. And I was very much outcasted by the people that I was friends grouped with. And you know, we're also at a younger age and they had very different experiences as, as young men as well. But it's this idea of what that you know anxiety looks like and OCD looks like and depression looks like. And there's just such a, a, a array of what that can look like. And I think people genuinely need to to at least hear that and, and sort of reflect on the, the, that that idea. But something I do want to ask you, Anthony, is you said you're not in therapy now. And it sounds to me as though you've gone through a couple different kinds of modalities with different therapists. 
there. So what are you looking for now um, that you have a little more um, experience being with therapists and that the noticing techniques are working for you? Like, do you have an idea? I don't think I know what I'm looking for, but I know I want someone to, I guess, teach me about myself, right? Or allow me to sort of reflect as well as get the, get those practices better under control. I don't know if I need like my last therapist where I need to sit there and sort of have those meditative focuses, but I don't necessarily have a, this is what I need. I just want to try new therapists and figure out if, I mean, they can push me out of my comfort zone, right? And create a different comfort zone for me. Sometimes a lot of people think that therapy is going to change you, but just, I don't know if you recognize it, what you're doing is you're still controlling things, but you're shifting your perspective on what it is you control. So sometimes the symptom is the solution. We just have to learn how to adjust it. Me and my, one of my best friends, he went to, <laughs> he went to a therapist once, right? And I like sort of convinced him, not convinced, but we had a conversation, but I didn't have to convince him. Let me, let me not say that, right? He convinced himself, but I was able to support him in that process, right? He went once, the therapist must have overbooked or messed up and he never went back to therapy again. Part of it, I don't think he genuinely wanted to sit in therapy. I think he just wanted to go to say he went. I also don't, the, the issue with uh, um, some people is I think they're expecting to go to therapy a few times and have this like mind blowing perspective that's gonna come about it. It's gonna completely change your life and it's just not gonna happen. It's gonna happen in very slow increments and it's never gonna be mind blowing. It's just going to think there's things that are going to happen in slow increments, um, learning processes, like reflective processes, all these different things that are really important to allow to happen at your own pace and with the, the proper supports that you need, um, rather than expecting to go to therapy twice. And it's like, oh, man, I finally figured out why A, B and C is happening. Um, and I think it's really important for people to understand that, like, this is a, a for many people, a lifelong process. and for I think everyone, it should be just about a lifelong process for you to be able to have, you know, like therapist or just that, that support that you potentially need. No, I agree with you 100%. I think from what I know about you and just hearing about the types of therapy, I'd be curious if maybe a more trauma or psychotherapeutic approach might be helpful. I'm not 100% sure. I feel like I'd still need to know a little bit more about you, but only because I know that your story, you've dealt with a lot of things um, in your life. And I think that, you know, you've grown up in neighborhoods that aren't always safe. You had your, your um, growing up with, with your stepfather, you, the way that you found your grandmother when she had passed, I think that there is a lot of like experiences that I think you've been extremely ex- resilient in overcoming them and and not letting it get in the way of your successes in life but i wonder i you know i always say this that trauma finds its way into every crevice and corner of our life and if there's maybe some ways that you haven't you've taken control of the ways that it's really taken a hold of your life but maybe there are other little ways that you haven't addressed it because they're just not maybe as prominent or they've become such a part of your everyday life that maybe it doesn't feel like it's that invasive in those areas. So that would be my suggestion if you want it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I, I, I think it's um, important to take other people's suggestions and try out things. And I've, you know, I've noticed those traumas shift and change and alter themselves, right? They're like shape-shifting. They're going to come in different forms at different times. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely things that are occurring, right? Um, and I think understanding that I have OCD and this is what things are, I'm able to sort of actually identify them a little bit better. Um, you know, I mean, since my grandmother passed, I'm telling myself I have a heart attack all the time, right? Because that's what happened to her and that's what I found. And now I already had like hypercon like conjugal thinking, but that elevated to a different level. Even even the sh- how stress sort of sits with me at different times. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I would try every type of therapy absolutely possible to figure out what works, as long as my insurance covers it, because yeah, <laughs> we're teachers and we don't make uh, make that much. So. That's a very real, <laughs> a very real part of the conversation. That's another major issue with looking for mental health supports is that like insurance can really suck. And mm-hmm. not many of us have the proper resources to pay hundreds of dollars for those types of services, right? Like I, I, when I was working the Lower East Side, I mean, I still am, but the school before this, there was a, I don't want to say the wrong type of place, but it was a, a meditative type studio. And it was like $400 a month. I was like, I can't do this. As much as I would love to do that, right? Like I can't. Um, and like insurance, it, it makes things extremely difficult. So we're speaking to so many different things. Mental health isn't necessarily something that is valued in our society, which is also why insurance won't cover certain coverages, right? Like, so I, as a therapist, I'm thinking about opening up my own practice and I don't want to do insurances because insurances won't pay out. So that's the the value piece, right? And I also believe because culturally we don't value it, we rather spend $100 on something else that technically may be hurting us more, right? So that's that goes back to my check-in, like the pieces of your life that no longer fit and they're kind of ineffective to what it is you say you want. Like, how do you get rid of them? How do you attend to them? How do you make that change? And I think that piece of change is very uncomfortable. As we begin to wrap up, obviously this is the Men in Therapy series. What words of advice, wisdom, just any message out there that you would like to send to other men who may be struggling with their mental health, um, maybe relate to your story a little bit, or, you know, similar to your friend who kind of went to therapy, but didn't stick it out. What message would you like to send to the men out there? I mean, I think there's a few that resonate with me, right? And I talk to my, my male students about this a lot, right? As a high school educator, one, it's okay to have emotions and express love as a man, right? And I I think that's really important. Um, Two, it's that your journey is going to be different from everyone, not everyone else's journey, from many people's journeys. And it's okay to have your own journey and path. Um, And but allow yourself to stay on some sort of path. Sometimes I get very inconsistent. But I always wander back because I realize how important it is as a practice for me. And, And then the last thing is like, have those try to have those conversations with the people that you trust honest conversations for you to figure out what might actually work for you, right? If you know that friend in therapy, reach out to them, right? Um, Like, don't be afraid to have those conversations and and try things new. Because if your friends called you to jump out of an airplane with a parachute or bungee jump or go on vacation or whatever it is, you're going to try new things. Like, have that same mindset when it comes to your mental health and, and figure out what types of supports and services and things that you need, because you'd rather be able to have those supports earlier than, than later when you really are, are at a deep point and you need it. 
and thinking about young men, uh, especially young men of color, but just young men in general, because they're placed in these very specific limits with uh, in how they should be acting. I guess I maybe if they are listening, maybe you could speak to how they could be aware of their mental health maybe isn't right, right? Because they, they hear and they're like, I'm good, right? So they don't feel like they need it. But what are the signs that you think come up either physically or in your thoughts or anything where it's not necessarily grouped in your mind as mental health, but they are signs that you should tend to it? Yeah. I, I mean, the first thing I think of is how you react to situations, right? I tell a lot of my my young men of color in my classroom, as someone who grew up in, in neighborhoods that you have to be a little bit tougher and you see a lot, that anger is the most acceptable reaction to a lot of things, right? And anger isn't also always the most appropriate reaction. Often it is not the most appropriate reaction. And if that anger builds up and you're either becoming physical too often, you just don't know how to deal with it. So you have breakdowns or you, you know, have these sort of different sort of reactions to that emotion. And I think that's what other emotions as well, right? Like sadness is okay, right? Like we're all going to have moments where we're, we're upset, but if you can't react to that in a healthy way, right? Like if you tell yourself, no, I can't cry, right? Or, you know, it's not okay to be sad. I mean, that's, that's a little unhealthy. And does that necessarily mean that you need to support or find supports in mental health? Not necessarily. I feel like it's, it's hard to pinpoint specific things because we are so different. But I think at some point, everyone has a gut instinct on where they are. And you need to trust that gut instinct rather than ignore it and allow yourself to push through, uh, be a man. Uh, I'll be all right. I'll get over it. Right. And if you're still sitting with that sort of idea, then you might need to actually be able to, to see someone because it is healthy. This idea of it being unhealthy because nothing's wrong with you is not the best viewpoint. Yeah, I just feel like that. Like those are the things that I, that I sort of think of because it's so hard to talk on that, right? Because like, I think as an educator, I realize like everyone is so different, you know, like and my advice to everyone adjusts based on how different they are. But it's like those people that you trust, if they tell you something, then maybe you should get some support and helps you need. But it's just such a difficult sort of, not necessarily push, but idea to think about and how to approach it with, especially young men, because there's this idea of what man, masculinity and manhood is. Um, I, think it's, I think it has adjusted and changed. This generation has, a, I think they do have some adjustments so there, this idea of masculinity, I really think they do, but that doesn't mean that generationally it's gone, right? And this has been generations and generations and generations. You know, it's the same thing with all the stigmas from slavery to, to black codes, to Jim Crow, to civil rights. And like, that stuff doesn't go away, whether you want to pretend it does. You know what I mean? You're in California and you've been in gang culture for five generations. Like that, that sort of stuff sticks with you. And that might be a, a reason enough to actually... Get, get some supports and helps because all of us have traumas and I think all of us need actual uh, actual support.
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anthony, for taking the time to speak with us and just share your experiences, your wisdom uh, with everyone out there, but especially the men out there who are listening. So if any of our listeners want to connect with you uh, beyond this episode, where can they find you? Where can they uh, speak to you, get to know you a little better? Any social media? Yeah. um, So Instagram, although I'm kind of, I don't want to say my Instagram name out loud because it's embarrassing, but great at the same time. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's it's underscore queso blanco underscore. (laughs) That's literally it. So underscore Q-U-E-S-O-B-L-A-N-C-O and then underscore again. Got it. White cheese. White cheese. Um, all right. So yes, definitely follow Anthony at underscore queso blanco underscore and definitely make sure to follow us if this is your first episode um, at never told us pod on Instagram and TikTok. And if this episode resonated with you, um, if you are a man in therapy and you want to be interviewed next, or if you just have any thoughts that you would like to share with us, make sure to email us at never told us pod at gmail.com. Make sure to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us. <laughs>